0: Welcome to this fine edition of the nerd-related fantasy football show. Uh, We are so excited to be here. It is Thursday, August 19th, about 7.55 p.m. Central Standard Time. So anything that happens after this point uh, that we don't know about, you can't hold it against us. And by (laughs) us, I mean this is Matt Farley, and alongside uh, me virtually is – the man, the myth, the legend, the smoothest head in South Milwaukee, AK-47, ranking number eight on the charts, but number one in your hearts. Andy, <laughs> sick. Andy what is happening, my man?
1: What is going on? I appreciate the, the very genuine ha, ha, ha uh, introduction. <laughs> For those who don't know, I was at genuine concert last week, and the joke goes on. But life oh, is good God. right now. I'm wearing a Jair Alexander jersey. I was watching Matt Saracens fling the ball around on Friday Night Lights, and then Matt Jones flinging the ball around, but football is on, life is good.
0: Yes, it is finally here. It is football season, which ultimately means it's fantasy football season, and you've come here to get some fantasy, gall darn football advice, uh, hashtag white boy talk. Um, So tonight we're going to be talking about uh, a couple of our favorite players in the draft, and why we really like these guys. They're names that you might have heard of so far this fantasy season. But at the very least, Andy and I want to tell you why you're hearing these names. And uh, we're also going to talk about some of the big fudge breaks, big questions and bold predictions that we have uh, with whatever time we have left. But first, Andy, I got a question for you, my man. Um, We got a lot of loyal listeners out there. Do you think that we have... Only diehard fantasy players listening to our show.
1: You know, I think that's it's a it's a trick question in a sense. I really don't know if there are diehard fantasy players anymore with all the various leagues that are out there. You have seasoned veterans who have played fine, redraft their whole life, learning what dynasty is. You want included, um, and individuals like myself who played dynasty and redraft for their whole life, and now they're diving into uh, dynasty best ball and guillotine leagues. So I think there's a wide variety of individuals now, and not really any true fantasy pros as we're evolving the sport. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's almost like everybody's, um, not behind, but everybody's learning every day. And um, you might be one of those people that's trying out a new league format this year. You might be somebody who's trying redraft leagues for the first time. Hell, you might be my wife trying uh, fantasy football for the second time of your entire life. So because of that, we feel like we owe everybody something. And we want to give you some basic Draft strategies that Andy and I have been using for years upon years, and have led us to some wondrous success, some big cash winnings, and bragging rights uh, over our uh, "quote unquote" friends. So, Andy, I'm going to kick it off because I've got, I've got kind of a basic one, and I think it's a good, it's a good strategy to sort of kick off uh, the conversation. But I want to ask you another question, I guess. Um, <laughs> Andy, did you ever take a public speaking class in high school?
1: I unfortunately did. It was one of my worst classes I had to take.
0: Awesome. Awesome. I'm hoping you would say that. And <laughs> Andy, what what was the number one thing that you learned in speech
1: class? As weird as this sounds, picture everybody in their underwear. It makes you feel more comfortable. It never seemed right, but that was what I was told.
0: Now, that is the right answer.
1: But that wasn't
0: <laughs> the answer we were looking for here. You're not wrong, but you're not right. But... I, I don't know if you've watched a lot of TED Talks. Actually, I know you have, Andy. But for those listeners out there, if you listen to a TED Talk, it's a conversation with the audience. It's somebody who clearly knows the topic uh, a fair amount and knows how to communicate it in a conversational manner. They're they're not scripted. They know kind of what they're going to say, but they don't know every word-for-word word phrase and every beat and motion that they're going to make in their speech. And in a lot of ways, I think fantasy football drafts are like giving a public address. You're going to fail or you're not going to be as genuine uh, as you would if you, (laughs) if you, if you just kind of went in with talking points and sort of knew the topic as a fantasy player, don't, don't have some hard set, plan or strategy. I think there are a lot of fantasy players out there that try to think, okay, round one, I'm going to take a running back. Round two, I'm going to take a running back. Round three, I'm going to do this and so on and so forth, or have players that they're going to take in every round. You don't need to have this this hard set game plan going in. Have just a, a general sense of what you want to do. And I know that's kind of ambiguous, but one of the things that I often do to to sort of get myself familiarized with uh, the draft class and where guys are going are just mocking. Mock drafts are simple. It's a great way to learn uh, really what ADP looks like. And all of these sites now have various settings where you can have the computer draft based on ESPN's rankings or ESPN's ADP or cumulative ADP and all of these things Um, And and frankly, you can do mock drafts just about anywhere, and it doesn't take you three hours like a normal draft. I do them when I'm on the crapper. I do them at work. I do them in my car driving to work. It's probably not safe. Uh, But either way, I I think the best advice that that I can give is don't feel like you need to have a hard set plan and know exactly what you are going to do when. You'll learn how to be flexible by mocking Andy, I think you kind of have a little bit of a different opinion on this, but uh, how do you feel about mock drafts, feeling out ADP, and, and essentially coming with talking points and not a script?
1: Yeah, I'm very unconventional in a lot of things I do, and to be honest, I've never done a mock draft in my life. You missed really it out, my friend. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I don't really pay attention to ADPs. I'm a big proponent on get your guy, and I have really two philosophies in the draft. If I'm in the first six picks, I'm going running back. From the back six picks, I'm going receiver, and then I'm going running back the second round. Um, for various reasons, there's a lot of stats behind, you know, the wide receiver one through 12, as well as the wide receiver or running back one through 12. Um, so stats I thought were pretty incredible. Um, For instance, you know, the difference between wide receiver one and 12 last year was 114 points pretty marginal uh the difference between running back one and 12 was 171 points not drastic Um, but one thing that I look for my wide receivers and I mean any player in reality is getting about 13 points a game Uh, so I really want to make those first round picks have matter second round third fourth and so on Um, what really surprised me is you know there was three wide receivers and three running backs that scored over 300 points if you look at wide receiver four and running back four both were under 200 points there was a huge discrepancy in how many individuals scored over that 200-point mark. Uh, at wide receiver, there was 27 – or another, it was wide receiver 4 through 27 that scored over 200 points, with only a difference of 77 points in that. So you're talking about DeAndre Hopkins to Cooper Cup, everybody in between. Uh, and some things I like with it as well is there's a lot of wide receivers that I think will explode this year that were below that 200-point mark. Um, you have T. Higgins, you have Chris Godwin, Brandon Ayuk, um, all individuals, I'm sure, Farley at you would agree, could have huge seasons and score with that 200-point mark. Um, and we're not even putting it as a, a, a sense, you know, Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, um, George Kittle as people. As far as the running backs go, running back 4 through 13 only scored over 200 points. So you have nine running backs that could score over 200 points. There's a difference of 64 points. But some of those running backs in that list were, were James Robinson, who I don't really trust as being a starting running back for the whole season, I don't really trust, you know, Hunt or Chubb. One of them, I don't think it's going to repeat over 200. I'm really not a believer in Mike Davis on that new offense. They really don't have a line. Uh, so you really don't know after that wide running back six. And even at running back six, you don't know who's going to be a potential running back one. And that's what you want out of your first round pick. Yeah,
0: I mean, that's a great point. That that major point differential between the high end of running back versus the high end of receiver is, is wider than what a lot of people think. And and let's face it, when it comes down to the waiver wire, it's a hell of a lot easier to find replacement wide receivers. Now I know we're talking primarily about the top 12 or so guys, but either way, you're going to find yourself needing replacement guys and you're better off having uh, running backs that you can rely on than having maybe top end receivers that Clearly the point differential between the very top and the kind of top or that that third or fourth tier is not as not as drastic. So definitely um, definitely. We'll-
1: and, and one additional thing that actually kind of just popped my mind, I was looking at people with some friends out in Austin when I used to live down there. It's going on for four years in the keeper league and something's really excited to keep bigs this year. And I was like, Okay, well, you're losing a first round draft pick. Um, but he was the number one wide receiver and this got in the sixth round. I just shows you the value that wide receiver can.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's incredibly hard to find that kind of that kind of running back exactly um, on accident. You know, yeah. but we'll actually talk about one of those guys that I think could be that. But before we talk about that guy, uh, Andy. Let's talk about your sort of hot pick for this season. I know you are absolutely thrilled to talk about this guy. Um, Tell me about your hot pick for this uh, for this episode.
1: Yeah, my hot pick this year is a thirty-year wide receiver. Some of these jerseys that will be ordered in the near future. My favorite player in the league, AJ Fucking. I absolutely love this individual as a wide receiver this year. I think he's going to explode. It has real potential of being, you know, the Stefan Diggs this year of scoring. Huge numbers, potentially the first time over 400 points this year as a player. Uh, I did a little deep diving into him besides, you know, just my love for him. But to look at some real stats, you know, I'm a big individual on stats and knowing about the player and what they've historically done. And then just what they've done compared to uh, some of their individuals and peers at their same position. Uh, And some of the stats were just insane to me, Farley, looking at this. If you had to take a guess, where do you think he would land in total targets um, last year out of all wide receivers?
0: Oh well, he finished pretty well, so I'm going to say probably like I don't know top twelve.
1: Yeah, how would you how would you feel if I told you it was thirtieth in total targets last year? I'd be surprised and I'd call
0: you a goddamn liar, but well, I know you did your homework.
1: Yes, yeah, it was it was wild to see that he was thirtieth in total targets, and seeing some of the individuals that he was behind was even more shocking. You had Cole Beasley, Chase Claypool, Cooper Cup, Brandon Cooks, who I don't even know if he played all the games last year. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster and Robert Woods, all good players in their own right, but they don't have the potential that A.J. Brown does with his yards after catch. Um, then you had individuals with you know, one less target than him, like Michael Gallup. A.J. Green had two less targets than him. Devontae Parker with three less. Again, good players, but nobody that should be in the same tier as targets as A.J. Brown. To put in perspective, the leader, Stefan Diggs, had 166 targets last year. So we're talking a huge difference in those number of targets. And the thing that surprised me was just the number of points he had with that little of targets. So you have guys like Keenan Allen, who's a target monster. He had 31 more targets last year, but Keenan Allen had three less points than A.J. Brown. Tyler Lockett had 26 more targets with only 16 more points. And the Allen Robinson, you know, was 17 more points on 45 more targets. There's not a huge discrepancy. One thing I like looking at my my wide receivers is somebody that can get yak yards after catch. That's something he does. He demonstrates that with the points he has and the little targets he has. He wasn't leading the league in touchdowns like you had Devontae Adams that greatly skews your numbers. No disrespect to Adams. He's phenomenal, but it's going to be hard to repeat in that number of touchdowns this year. Uh, Some other things I looked at, too, that were shocking. Their offensive line had zero injuries last year which allowed Derrick Henry to have the season he had. I, I don't foresee mm-hmm. Derrick Henry going over 2,000 yards again and having as many touches as he has for another reason is their defense is atrocious. Uh, last year, their defense ranked 24th in the league uh, in what they did, and they really didn't make any key additions. They added a Bud Dupree who's coming off an ACL injury, and last year he played on a defense that was pretty stout, so there was a lot of individuals avoiding it when they were blocking because you had to worry about T.J. Watts. Mm -hmm. They only added Caleb Farley, possibly your cousin, who has a lot of potential, but, you know, he's a cornerback and he has a medical past. Uh, One thing that I found very interesting is in 2020, cornerbacks were beaten for an average passer rating of 113. So it's highly unlikely that he helps the secondary that much to affect the game plan. Um,
0: Lay lay off my cousin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, when you have a negative game script and what it traditionally means, it's going to be higher scoring games. So, I want a wide receiver that's going to be in that package. Um, and another shocking thing to me, when they lost Corey Davis and they lost some other individuals, their number second in the number of vacated targets this year with 215 vacated, vacated targets. Yeah, they added Julio Jones, but reality is Julio Jones doesn't stay healthy. He might get an additional 100 targets. You still have... 115 targets to go around, and that's not even taking into consideration that Derrick Henry probably won't have as many carries as he had last year. Uh, So for me, a huge buy a potential wide receiver. One is A.J. Brown.
0: Yeah, I mean, you you make such a great point. I I think just the efficiency numbers alone, it should be telling of of just how impactful he can be. Like, yeah, Tyler Lockett, Allen Robinson, Keenan Allen, they're not finishing as high – in, in, in rankings as A.J. Brown. But that should just speak to how much better A.J. Brown is uh, than those Tier 3 guys. We just talked about how little differentiation there is between the top wide receivers and, and guys you can pull in the middle rounds. If you're going to take a top-end wide receiver, A.J. Brown clearly is somebody that has stood out amongst the group Um, and looks like he's going to do it again this year. So solid, solid bet on AJ Brown. So my pick is somebody that you've probably heard of already uh, a little bit, especially after some of the preseason games, uh, so far is somebody that's kind of standing out, but this guy stood out to me after I uh, listened to a podcast by JJ Zacharyson and read a a complimentary article where J.J. Uh, Zacharyson, you should check him out on Twitter. Uh, his website is numberfire.com, basically did a data-driven study to identify breakout running backs by, and I don't want to go into too much detail here, but basically by looking at how a player's ADP is relative to their out, point output and then seeing who greatly exceeds that point output. He took a look over the last 10 years and identified a number of running backs that broke out and took a look and found some characteristics amongst all of those running backs that we as fantasy players can easily identify. So every year, I take a look at an ADP list and I look for the following four characteristics. Number one, running backs in ambiguous backfields. We subjectively don't know who the dominant starter is going to be. Think about San Francisco. Raheem Mostert seems like he's going to be the starter, but Trey Sermon could end up in the end really being the primary back. That's an ambiguous backfield. You're also looking for a a running back that's obviously being drafted in the mid-rounds, six through nine, that has a teammate that's being drafted, according to ADP, relatively close. So let's say you've got a running back that has an ADP of 65, If he has a teammate that's anywhere between 60 and like 102, that's a good sign. That fits that characteristic. However, characteristic number three, that you're looking for the running back out of the two that has the higher ADP. So we're taking a look at that guy who's at 65, not the guy who's at 75 or 85. We want the RB1 according to ADP, even though it's an ambiguous backfield. So hopefully that makes sense. (laughs) The fourth term is somebody that has pass catching ability. So I took a look at this year's ADP list and I found somebody that really stood out to me, not just because they fit this mold, but there are a lot of circumstances and forces that make me think that this guy is going to have a fantastic year. And that's Javante Williams from the from the Denver Broncos. So for quickly, how does he fit these characteristics? Number one, he is definitely an an ambiguous backfield, tongue twister. Uh, I know a lot of people are saying, Melvin Gordon, Melvin Gordon. We're going to talk about Melvin Gordon in a second. It's not as clear as you think it is. It's ambiguous, especially to me. Secondly, their ADPs are very close. They're in the sixth to ninth rounds, and Javante Williams has the higher ADP versus Melvin Gordon. Now, the fourth characteristic, the pass-catching bit, is a little bit difficult because he's obviously a rookie. So we got to take a look at what he did in college. And in 11 games last year, Javante Williams had 25 catches. That's roughly three catches per game. That's a decent average. Stretch that over 15 games, he's in the high 30s, 40s. That's a decent uh, catch rate for, for a, a running back, especially a running back who starting off is in an ambiguous backfield. He's also getting primed up by his coaches as somebody who's really good in pass protection. So there's a good chance he's going to be in on third downs uh, with the capacity to be a first and second down running back. But what else is in Javante Williams' favor that makes me like him so much? He plays for a team that has a great defense. Now, Andy and I always like to go for teams that have bad defenses, or, or I'm sorry, players that are on teams with bad defenses because they're going to play in negative game scripts passing for for both receivers and, and running backs obviously is a good thing however having a good defense in this case for a guy like Javante Williams should help him out they should be playing in positive game scripts if they've got a good defense which means more opportunities to carry the ball and if he's in on third down he gets catches the second thing he, he's surrounded by other pass catchers and that's not a bad thing that's not going to take away opportunities for Javante Williams. It's actually going to help him out. These are all deep threat guys. Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, Noah Fant. They can all stretch the field. That should be a benefit. Also, who's throwing these guys the ball this year? Not Brett frickin' Rippin. Um, It's either (laughs) Buddy Bridgewater or Drew Locke. And if one of those guys gets hurt, there's a decent backup in place at least. And who knows? Drew Locke might have a great (laughs) So either way, you've got a reliable quarterback in that position. Also, they have the second easiest schedule for running backs. So even if Melvin Gordon plays decent, they both can eat. But let's talk about Melvin Gordon for a second and why, I, why I'm not trusting Melvin Gordon as much this year and why you shouldn't either. Firstly, in the past three seasons, two of those seasons he's only played 12 games. And Now, I know that's not an incredibly low number for running backs, but it's lower than normal. And if he does that again – That's like, what, three or four free games potentially for Javante Williams not to have Melvin Gordon there. He finished 14th last year, did Melvin Gordon, in overall running back ratings. Now, that's pretty decent, but think about the fact that he didn't have Philip Lindsay for a long part of the season, and the guy behind Philip Lindsay was Royce Freeman. 14th is good, but I think he could have finished much, much higher given the amount of opportunity he had. And furthermore... You talk about a decline in opportunity. He had a decline in pass catching opportunities. Melvin Gordon had the worst receiving year of his career. Um, not a good sign. He only he only took in 9% of the target share amongst all of the other receivers there. He's also dealing with a groin injury, which is not the end of the world, but certainly doesn't help his case. And also, Melvin Gordon has hit the prime age of 28, which according to a fantasy Pros study, is generally the age of decline for running backs. When conversely, Javante Williams just turned 21, which is the primary age for running backs. And in fact, that study shows that 21-year-old running backs have a hit rate to finish in the top 24, 40% of the time. That's the highest out of any of the age brackets that they studied. Um, that should help Javante Williams. You know what else should help Javante Williams, Andy? An improved offensive line. They weren't oh, yeah. good last Um, they definitely had their rough spots, but they got better as the year progressed and pro football focus ranked them. I think 27th at the end of the season preseason rankings, they're up to 21. So they're getting better. Dylan Reisner got better and he's going into a pivotal third year. Garrett Bowles actually had an improvement in his PFF grades as the year went on. And they're getting Juwan uh, James back uh, from taking a year off of COVID. So Either way, it, it, it's not going to be a terrible offensive line situation. And if you're looking for evidence for running backs who performed with bad offensive lines in their rookie season, look at what James Robinson did with the 22nd-ranked offensive line, according to uh, Pro Football Focus, in 2020. He was what? W- where did he finish? Top 10? That's a yeah. pretty good sign for a guy that was undrafted. And I'm going to end with this, and I don't want <clears throat> to go on too much longer. I'm going to post uh, a diagram on our Twitter that basically indicates consistency for rookie running backs, Uh, rookie running backs specifically selected in the early second round. I'll also include a link to the website that I found this on, but pretty much you can expect the first half of the year, running backs who were drafted in the early second round to perform at RB2 numbers or better about 35% of the time. And it's not like there's a big drop-off 45% of the time for RB3 numbers. So not bad. You might have a trade piece if he doesn't break out. He's at least going to be startable according to these numbers. Maybe you trade him to the Saquon Barkley guy or the Saquon Barkley owner who hasn't been able to play him very much because he's coming back from injury and on a pitch count. So you've got a real opportunity here with Javante Williams. I'm going to try to grab him in every draft. And again, I'll, I'll, I'm going to end with this. Sorry. I'm going to end with this for the second. <laughs> again, his ADP, and maybe I didn't mention it. His ADP right now is hovering somewhere between 64 and 69, depending on your format. So probably like 67. You can essentially get him as your RB3. Uh, maybe your RB4, if you go RB heavy in the first couple of rounds, that's a pretty good place to be with a guy who's got the potential to be an RB2 or better. As like almost 40% of the time in the first half of the season, it, it seemed surefire to me. I love Javante Williams.
1: Great pick, Farley. Great pick. I love Javante Williams as well. Just circling back to your Melvin Gordon point, uh, one thing I don't think is being discussed as much is he's a cut candidate. Uh, yes. He has a DUI lingering, and say what you want. You know, the NFL is a stickler on some of those things. And I think the Broncos, if they release them, free up $2.4 million, and I always look at what they did in the offseason. They made a point to draft Javante Williams in the second round when they clearly have quarterback issues and they signed Mike Boone. Um, they have a very crowded backfield. <clears throat> do you cut Gordon, who's 29, or do you keep, or do you cut Royce Freeman, who I think is 26, you, you probably cut the guy who's older with a DUI and more money. Um, so yep. if you are doing drafts right now, you know, Javante Williams could be one of those guys for those who'd love ADP that shoots up 20 points in the next two weeks when cuts are done. Uh, and one thing with Javante Williams and where he's being drafted is historically when I've won leagues, I've had a running back that I picked up in the sixth through tenth round that may have not have been a starter initially in the beginning of this season. I don't think Javante Williams will if Gordon's there. But he has a potential to be a RB1 in week six, seven, eight when it really comes down to bye weeks and injuries and so on, and they can carry you through the playoffs. We've seen with Alvin Kamara, we saw with Cam Akers, we saw with JK Dobbins last year. There's traditionally one deep running back that will lead you to the playoffs that is doing nothing the first six or seven weeks
0: yeah absolutely you know james robinson is going to be there blocking travis Etienne's opportunity for a while i think eventually like you said james robinson is going to is going to end up not being the workhorse anymore um but still that's another example of, of a guy but travis Etienne's. uh ADP is much higher. You're going to have to use a higher, a much higher pick, like maybe fourth round to get a guy like Travis Etienne versus somebody like Javante Williams, who has a better offense, maybe has a better offensive line situation and a better mm-hmm. defense.
1: Definitely. All right.
0: So moving on, Andy, um, we've got a few minutes left here. So we're going to get to a couple of these big fudge breaks, big questions and bold predictions, uh, big fudge breaks. You should check them out on Facebook. Uh, they're breaking all kinds of great cards. Uh, they do skunk packs in case if you get skunked in a break. They're pretty awesome. Go check them out at Big Fudge Breaks on Facebook. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give two questions here because uh, we're coming up on time. First question: Who is most likely to finish as the RB one, the overall running back number one that is not named Christian McCaffrey?
1: I'm going to have to go with my boy out of the University of Wisconsin, and Jonathan Taylor. Excuse me. Uh, He has six games against the Texans, Titans, and Jaguars this year. Three atrocious defense that, you know, very well could vault him into RB1 status for the whole season with those games. Um, But last year, I mean, he finished with 252 points. I believe he finished at RB5 or 6, and that's with three games rushing below 10 attempts. Um. So if you have three more games, with additional 15 attempts, you know, that could be an additional hundred points and puts them right there at that RB one status.
0: Yeah. I, I love it. And their offensive line is just so darn good. And, uh, you know, Naeem Hines is still going to get his work through the passing game, but I don't expect Naeem Hines to finish. What did he finish in PPR last year? It was like,
1: like 23, I think
0: it was abnormally high. I'll, I'll look it up as I'm giving my answer, but, um, I think there's a guy in this group that has the volume to do it. I don't know if he will, but either way, this might just be more so uh, advice to go draft Joe Mixon when you can. Joe Mixon Primetime is going to a, a lot of opportunities this year. And one of the questions that we didn't get to was Antonio Gibson or, or uh, Joe Mixon. I, I might go Joe Mixon here. I think he's all around a, a better player. We know he's going to get a lot of targets. Uh Gibson looks like he might get those targets, but we don't know that for sure. Not like we, we know Joe uh, Mixon will and Gio Bernard is gone. So I don't know. I just feel pretty good about that. Let's wrap it up with this one last question. And I want to carry this forward into our next show. But Andy, who is the 2021 version of Justin Jefferson?
1: Initially, I want to say Rashad Bateman, but there's some question marks with the IR lingering. If that is the case, uh, I think number two might be. Uh, I'm kind of going on a limb right now, but Rondell Moore.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I I I'm glad you said that. It's like we had this conversation recently. Um, we'll talk. We'll talk about Rondell Moore, and we'll talk about a number of other. Uh, potential breakout wide receivers that we think can replicate what Justin Jefferson did last year. And you can actually help us determine who we want to talk about. So we put out this question on Twitter earlier today, who's going to be the new or the 2021 version of Justin Jefferson. Some people have started to comment and and drop their answers. Andy, I think what we're going to do is try to find like, I don't know, maybe the top two, maybe three, Uh, candidates according to our Twitter follows and we'll break those down uh, and look at the look at the statistics we'll look at the data we'll look at the player profiler and we'll see how those guys actually match up to a guy like Justin Jefferson or the 2019 Chris Godwin uh, breakout that we saw so uh, that's going to do it for us uh, tonight hope you have a great weekend we might be back before then we'll see but Either way, keep it real and uh, go dominate your league.
1: Have a good one, everybody.